You're listening to the Rural Roundup for the latest news in agriculture from the Scottish Government's Farm Advisory Service. I'm Kerry Hammond and today Tiffany McTaggart is joined by Robert Ramsey and George Chalmers to discuss what's happening in the agricultural sector right now. Today I have an update on the Sustainable Agricultural Capital Grant Scheme, Preparing for Sustainable Farming, Avian Influenza, Reductions and Exclusions Letters and Cropping 2023. I'm joined today by Robert and George. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine, Tiffany. Robert, how are you? Also fine. Yeah, I've got a five-month-old baby who's decided to start teething, so I'm a bit tired, but no, I'm, I'm good. Oh, well, I've got a seven-year-old who is absolutely starting to get hyper with Christmas, so um, yeah, you've all got <laughs> in front of you. So. I've got no children, so I'm okay. <laughs> the Sustainable Agricultural Capital Grant Scheme claims can now be made. You will be needing to have your invoice of the capital items which you purchased um, and the amount that you paid. And you'll need to submit this along with your bank or credit card statement, which shows that you've made the payment. You will also be needing geotagged photographs of the items that you've claimed for, as well as your carbon audit and nutrient management plan, which you will have already prepared for the scheme. For preparing for sustainable farming, you can now claim for your soil analysis. You will be required to upload your soil sampling results for all the samples which you're claiming for. You will also need to upload your invoice for your soil analysis, as well as your bank or credit card statement showing that you've paid for it, as well as details of your carbon audit. If you haven't already done your carbon audit, there is £500 of funding available through preparing for sustainable farming to help you get one done. I've been hearing a few reports recently of pneumonia cases in cattle. Robert, have you heard much about it? Yeah, it's certainly it's that time of year. Um, basically, this year we've pretty much got a perfect storm. We've got a mild, moist environment. Um, cattle have been housed probably a wee bit earlier than normal. We're also in the at the end of the autumn sales as well. So there's a lot of these cattle, these young cattle at, the, at a very vulnerable stage, move holding and get mixed in with different animals as well. So um, yeah, the pneumonia thing, I wouldn't say the pneumonia story is much worse this year than it's been in the past. Or certainly that's my my experience in the Southwest that there's, um, yeah, so that's certainly my experience in the Southwest. There's a reasonable amount of pneumonia going out there and and really the the thing to do is deal with the problem but also think why has this happened so what's what's caused it is it multiple treatments happening at the same time and all the stress happening on one day is it a problem with your housing with your ventilation system or you know is there some other factor is there some um wider disease issue that needs to be discussed and, and the most important thing i think to do is to have that sensible conversation with a vet with with your vet as to what what's happened what's what's likely to happen again in the future and how how do we try and reduce the pneumonia issue because of course pneumonia has a it's a double issue it's an, a major issue for welfare but it's also probably the biggest financial issue on on most beef farms at this time of year the reduction in performance is colossal and we do need to as we strive to be more efficient both financially and environmentally we need to make sure that we get on top of pneumonia and, and 
are not getting top of it. We, we need to make sure we avoid pneumonia altogether and get, get cattle performing as best they can. Avian influenza is on the rise again, strict biosecurity measures in place for all bird keepers, including those who keep pet birds. It, it's a real concern again out there. It's a real challenge. And, and I think for me, my, my biggest worry with it is where we have big commercial producers they're well engaged in it and obviously have a huge vested interest in it but the major risk comes to me anyway with the the huge number of small scale poultry keepers as well and just i think it's so important that everyone engages in this same as we did through lockdown same as we did for you know for covid if we really want to get a handle on this we really need to all step up to the plate and and do what we need to do yeah robert i would i would just reiterate that um up here in the northeast, certainly in the North Buchan area, there are there's almost a cluster of commercial uh, layer enterprises um, and some really big operators there. And a lot of them have invested significantly. Um, I've been around one or two of them. Biosecurity is, uh, you know, they really, really do take that seriously. Um, up here, there are smaller scale. Um, you know, smallholders, uh, they've got chickens. The biosecurity applies to them as well. Um, and also, it's, it's endemic in the wild, in the wild bird population. Um, there are a lot of birds obviously coming in from the coast. And uh, that is a, it's, a, it's a major concern. And, and I think it's something that any keeper of poultry really has got to take seriously. Yeah, and we also have a, a few examples now where... You know, farming's full of conflicts. So we've obviously got food production and we've got biodiversity sitting side by side. And there are examples now where people have approached Scottish government to request variations to each schemes and, and look at options for, you know, unharvested crops that are close to poultry units and things. Now, those contracts were set in stone when they were produced but they're well and truly up for discussion at this stage that for, for this significant issue, it's well worth having a sensible conversation to try and mitigate that that wild bird issue and, and protect the birds we've got, the welfare of the birds we've got, and, and also the livelihood of the person who's, or the, the family who's running them. I think I think it's a common sense approach and, and everyone's to be pragmatic about it. And um, yeah, there's yeah, there's a welfare of the, of the, the birds, but um there's livelihoods at stake there as well, and, and that's, a, that's a major thing. And, and it's um, human welfare, um, the worry and the stress that it causes, that's to be considered as well. What, what impact do you think it's going to have on turkeys for Christmas? Certainly, I saw on a Facebook last night a couple of turkey producers, small-scale turkey producers, who've had to take some pretty significant steps to to safeguard their production and, and, and their product. But... You know, it is an issue and there's other, there are other issues out there for, um, the, the turkey supply for Christmas was affected by energy price, by feed price, and now avian influenza as well. I know down south there's some seriously big producers have avian influ- influenza outbreaks and yeah, there's no doubt, you know, we, we don't generally produce too many extra turkeys in the year. So I think supply might be a uh, under pressure, but at the same time, you know, cost of living crisis and things perhaps people pulling their belt in a wee bit maybe there's less demand out there as well and i think as a red meat producer it would be only right for me to say that beef is also an option for christmas yeah robert again i'd, I'd, I'd agree with what you're saying i've been hearing that uh, you know 
obviously turkeys aren't be shot inside. It's not an easy decision for the producers to take, but you can understand where they're coming from. And and you're also hearing that some producers are, are, are slaughtering the turkeys earlier and freezing them. And so they can take them onto the market nearer the time as frozen turkeys. People just have to do what they have to do. It's as simple as that. And yeah, I would agree with you that, um, yeah, there is alternatives to turkey at Christmas. <laughs> There's plenty of choice. There's plenty of choice. At least there's lots of options for people. Um, but it's definitely worth thinking about uh, mitigating the spread of disease and making sure that you're familiar with uh, what the advice is for biosecurity measures, particularly those of you who've just got some uh, pet poultry. Um, it's up to you to contribute as well. Make sure you familiarize yourself with the advice, the biosecurity measures, and as well as when you should be reporting the disease. There is a link in the show notes. It is up to everybody to report the disease, whether it's in your um, small number of pet poultry or if you're seeing wild birds that are dead. Any suspicion of disease, contact your local APHA field services office. Reductions and exclusions letters are currently being sent out for 2016. Any deductions will have already been made from your payment. George, have you been seeing many letters? Um, For 2016, it hasn't been too bad. I had quite a few for 2015. They were out about a year or so ago. Um, they're well worth checking out, undoubtedly. Um, in some cases, there's it's, there's not a lot to them. It's pretty easy to, to work out why, they, why they've been sent out. Others, um, completely different, however. There, there can be some uh, big deductions and uh, big penalties and well worth investigating. Robert? What's it like doing your way? So yeah, we are also seeing quite a lot of 2016 letters. Um, we had a lot in 2000 of, of the 2015 letters, um, certainly less this time round. But the letter, even for us, so we are seeing them all the time, the letter is complicated. It's not particularly user-friendly. So we are, I certainly for forms that I submitted in 2016, I'm really pleased to see the farmer and run through what that reductions and exclusions letter means and, and what we can do. The vast majority of occasions, no action required, no penalty, you know, no major issue at all. But please do approach whoever did your form or, or if you're needing more advice, Farm Advisory Service Helpline is there as well. You know, do ask the question because it's a lonely job on your own if you don't understand the letter. We are lucky that we've, we we all work in offices where we um, we work in groups, so we we do compare notes and we do bounce things off each other. So, um, yeah, do do get in touch if anyone has an issue with these or just wants to discuss it. Do do get in touch with um, whoever to to help you with this. Uh, but as I say, for the vast majority of people, there's not a massive issue to worry about. It's good to hear that there's not a massive issue to worry about. I have heard of a couple of cases where they found they have been incorrectly penalised and the ARPID officers are more than happy to have a look at the issue and have even gone and um, overturned the decision as well and reinstated um, the money to the farmer as well. So on the rare occasion that it's not such good news, it's worth definitely looking why, why it was a reduction in the first place. 
So cropping for 2023 is now being thought about with the winter crops in the ground and plans being made for spring cropping. I know greening is definitely something that people are going to have to be bearing in mind. What do you think they need to think about, Robert? Yeah, so we're, we're pretty lucky in the southwest. We don't have huge, or we don't have many huge greening ones. So we've got a, we've got a lot of cropping, but most most farmers are in a mixed arable setup where um, greening isn't a, a huge concern. But for those where it is, certainly the more time we have pre-IAX to think about it and to make a plan, uh, the better. So now's the time when all the greening options are really on the table. Um, and certainly there's a few um, changes, a few alterations to rules that um, will be of interest. So certainly having, having those conversations with family members, staff, consultants, agronomists, whoever it is to work out what the best options are for you is really, really important. Um, I think in this part of the world, the way we are, the weather we are getting, and I do feel like I moan on this podcast a lot about the weather, but um, we certainly will be looking at a reasonable number of winter crops that will need to be re-sown in the spring. So we, we do need to be aware of um, implications for that for greening as well. Yeah, Robert. Um up here, a different area, of course, um, we have quite a bit of arable and, and a lot of mixed farmers as well. It's that time of year that people are doing a bit of head scratching. It's actually quite good to see people coming in. Um, in terms of arable side, they're quite buoyant. Um, they're looking at how can they grow as much crops as possible. For the year ahead prices look quite good for next year um so it's it's trying to minimize this fallow somebody in today and um his field of fallow is it, it's like a, a it, it kind of festers on the farm really it's this horrible field now in his mind that could be growing something so so he's looking at what else can he pull in what what margins can he put in what uh he's even thinking about some green cover stuff like that which means that he can optimize you know he can maximize his area you know take advantage of the good prices so it, it, it's it's an important job to do it also it lets them sort out their uh, seed orders and also finalize the fertilizer orders as well it is also worth noting that new for 2023 is you can use small farm woodlands which were planted um, since 2015 as one of the options for efa so it's nice having something new that people can start using that's not fallow yeah tiffany i think that's, that's right it's another option there are lots of different options and in many cases they're not really you know, thought of a lot of people go for the the bog standard fallow. It's simple. People know where they are, where they are with it. Um, but it is worth just spending a bit of time at this time of the year before you get cracking with the plough, um, just to just to weigh up your options and and see if there is something that you can do that's just a bit bit different. And you know, if you if you're if you're of the mind to grow a wee bit of extra crop, I think it's pretty interesting to see how people's views have changed. So. In 2015, when the scheme started, it's obviously a long time ago and priorities have changed. So I think all the green cover discussions are so much more relevant as we look towards, you know, we discuss regenerative agriculture and soil health and everything. And, and those green cover options weren't liked to start with. But there's so many people now looking down that road and seeing really the benefits of it. And we've quite a few people who actually now are 
sowing way more of that type of stuff than, than they actually need and they're seeing the real benefits of it so it's nice to see some of the rules coming a uh, really into focus and, and actually having a pretty positive role um, with regard to whole farm systems well that's right and even, even those sort of options you have the ability to um you sow something in the back end and you have a it's a you know it's an it's an extra crop after january the first really you're going to get a wee bit of extra feeding out of it and um yeah that'll just return the nutrients even better plow it up and um yeah great stuff for next year excellent if you're interested in finding out a bit more about uh, different efa options there is all the information on the rural payments and services website but also there's a farm advisory service podcast called cropcast and in november there is an episode coming out called making better use of efa so it's definitely worth checking that out George, what do you have coming up over the next couple of weeks? Next couple of weeks, I'm going to be busy with uh, carbon audits. Uh, there's some soil sampling to do um, and just some of the more usual stuff. We're going with the greening, cropping calculations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be pretty busy. Robert? Yeah, same stuff. Uh, the routine stuff certainly all go in the carbon audits and, and soils, but uh, we also have AgriScot next week, which is uh, obviously quite a um, quite a big deal. So that involves me for a a day, uh, the full day there, and then a, a bit of prep before that as well. So yeah, quite a big quite a big day for me. Probably you, Tiffany. What's what's happening in the borders? Agri Scott sounds good fun, Robert. Sadly, I'm not going to make it there. I'm busy with. I've got biodiversity plans, which I'm getting finished off for people who are interested um, in going into an eek scheme next year. And I've got some soil and nutrient plans, which I'm working on alongside the usual carbon audits and soil analysis and other bits and pieces. The Farm Advisory Service has loads of helpful resources, publications, podcasts and events coming up. If you'd like some help navigating the energy crisis, we have a whole dedicated page at faz.scot. You can find resources on a huge range of topics such as general energy and fuel use, energy efficiency on a shoestring budget and a practical guide to energy auditing. There are specialised resources available if you're interested in renewables, like developing renewable energy and implementing solar panels on your farm. We also have sector-specific energy resources that may help you during this time, including examples such as electricity use in dairy, efficient energy use on pig farms, reducing cereal energy costs, energy data for vegetables, and energy efficiency in poultry farms. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more. And as always, feel free to contact us directly on the FAS helpline if you need more specific advice. Reducing operational costs is front and centre as farm businesses tackle the challenges ahead. And with future farm subsidy payments likely to be more closely linked to how we farm, Now is a great time to discuss how we reduce crop establishment costs. The Farm Advisory Service is hosting an in-person meeting at Carfrey Mill Hotel in Lauder. We'll be bringing together farmers that we visited and filmed in the Lothians and Borders to share their experiences with you on their journey to reduce tillage and lowering their carbon footprint. 
This event will allow the audience to watch each film clip and then participate in a discussion with the Farmer panel on November the 23rd at 10am. The good news is a light lunch is included too. Spaces are limited, so please make sure you register to secure your spot. If you enjoyed episode two of our podcast show, Natural Capital, Scotland's Rainforests, you can now download a practical guide to land management for Scotland's Atlantic rainforests. Written by Helen Bibby, this guide touches on many important topics, such as the current status of Scotland's rainforests, the threats to its survival, and has suggested action plans on what you can do to support this biodiverse environment. Find a link to the guide in our show notes. The November edition of Agribusiness News was published on Tuesday the 1st of November and includes policy briefs, an article on the cost of living crisis, the regular beef, sheep and milk articles, and sector focus articles on talking turkey. Agribusiness News is a great resource to ensure that you're fully up to date. And did you know that we also have an audio version available too? Just click the link in the show notes and you can choose whether to download the written copy or live stream the audio. On Tuesday the 22nd of November, we're hosting a webinar at 7pm about funding opportunities for sustainable farming. If you'd like to find out more about the PSF funding, that stands for Preparing for Sustainable Farming, and how you can use the funding to access support with your carbon emissions and incentives to improve your carbon footprint, then this is the webinar for you. If you're in the northeast of Scotland and interested in diversification opportunities for your farm business, why not join us on Wednesday the 23rd of November at 7pm at Thainston Agricultural Centre to hear from Forest Farm, the organic dairy, and Boutique Farm Bothies as they share their diversification journeys and their stories. Have you been missing out on your regular fix of Faz TV? Well, don't worry, it's back on the 18th of November with an episode looking at animal welfare and cow comfort in dairy and balancing environmental objectives with production goals in beef enterprises. You can find the latest episodes on our website. I'm joined by Callum Johnston, who's going to tell us a little bit more about some exciting bonus content we've got coming up for you on the Rural Roundup. So a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of speaking to Caroline Hamilton at Cairns Farm Estate in the Scottish Borders. Caroline has created one of Scotland's top farm-based weddings and events venues, and she gives us a, a unique insight into life running a traditional a livestock farm alongside a successful wedding venue. Uh, we also head over to the west coast of Scotland and speak to Lindsay Robertson from Long Island Retreats based on South Uist. Lindsay and DJ Donald John provide unique croft tours and island experiences, which give visitors to South Uist an insight into crofting life, as well as the culture, heritage and Gaelic language on the Uists and Western Isles. Lindsay is also a destination leader for Scottish agritourism, 
And she's going to give us an overview of the current developments in the agritourism sector and how you as farmers and crofters can get involved uh, with the initiative. I'm also joined by my colleague, Ian McMillan, uh, who's based in our SEC Consulting Stornoway office. And both of us uh, speak to Tina McPhail from Grinevat Community Hub on the Isle of Lewis. Grinevat are doing lots of interesting things uh, with a strong focus on community local food, they do exhibitions, uh, they've got artists in residence, they host Kayleys, and they've got lots of things happening over there, which is really cool. My colleague Siobhan McDonald uh, speaks to Jock Gibson from Macbeth's Butchers about adding value to beef and his small honesty shop. And I also have a great chat with Cara Cameron from Lockview Rural Training. Lockview Rural Training is a social enterprise providing rural learning, training and career opportunities to both adults and young people across the Highlands and Islands. Cara is really passionate about supporting young people and providing opportunities to those uh, who want to pursue a career in crofting. And finally, I um, had a, a great chat uh, last week with Laura Beck from the Paw Park. Um, the Paw Park is an exclusive use dog play park located just outside Hawick in the Scottish borders. Laura and her family have created a secure space for dogs and their owners to exercise freely. And she gives us a, a great insight into this novel diversification enterprise. Callum, it sounds like you've had some very interesting conversations over the last few weeks with some very innovative and entrepreneurial farmers and crofters. Why do you think that uh, diversifying the business is so important? I think it's great um, to see farmers uh, diversifying their businesses. Um, one thing that really comes out from speaking to all of these people is, you know, their farmers and crofters are, are now looking outside the box, you know, they're looking at new opportunities, but also specifically what actually interests them personally. And, you know, that personal touch really comes forward. Um, as you'll hear uh, with the Grinovat and um, speaking to Lindsay Robertson, there's a real connection with with culture, heritage, uh, and also lifestyle. And, you know, as both you and I no, Kerry, you know, crofting and farming is a way of life and making a business out of something that they really enjoy is actually really powerful. Callum, can you give us any sort of headlines about diversification activity in Scottish agriculture? Yeah, sure, Kerry. So uh, as we both know, diversification is really important to Scottish farms and crofts. According to the latest Scottish Farm Business Survey 2020-21, uh, more than half of farms uh, have diversified activities that generate additional incomes uh, to their business. Uh, in 2020-21, and 55% uh, of farms had diversified. One of the, the, the key things that actually comes out, which I actually find quite funny, is all of these diversifications, the idea generally comes from an initial conversation around the farm table. And, you know, I'm a farmer's son myself, and I know that literally all of our farm business happens around the farm table uh, or, or the kitchen table, which is really interesting. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the time it's farmers and crofters speaking to their close family. But another thing that comes out is, you know, these these farmers and crofters are actually very open and willing to to take on advice from from consultants. 
Uh, that can be through, you know, the farm advisory service. It can be through others um, in, in the sector as well. And I guess finally, the the last thing is is all these businesses are keeping on top of trends. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the customer is is key and and being very market led. Um, and whether that's just, you know, keeping an eye on what's happening on social media, um, you know, what's happening out and about, going to events, getting off the farm and speaking to people um, and is, is really important for them. Thanks so much for listening to the Rural Roundup. As always, please feel free to get in touch, leave a comment or a review and let us know how we're doing. I'll see you again in a fortnight.